Omis, welcome to a very special interview. I have with me today Max from Fiat Dell. How are you going, Max? Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. So Max is the founder, or do you, you, you call yourself co-founder of Fiat Dell? <laughs> I'm one of four uh, initial core contributors. Oh, cool. that way. Yeah. yeah, that's a better way to do it, I think. So yeah, we'll get to Fiat Dow and the Omis are <laughs> probably all wondering how they're just sort of making this free yield from putting their wrap staked ohm into this vault and uh, what actually is this thing that <laughs> they're, they're kind of making this money from. But maybe we can sort of start with kind of your background and how you got into crypto and then we'll sort of move through to like DeFi and then Olympus and then we can get into kind of what Fiat DAO is and sort of how it is going to sort of deliver these really cool products building on top of Ohm. So how did you kind of first get into crypto? Were you like uh, read the white paper of Bitcoin or kind of later to the to the piece? That would have been a better use of my student loan money. Uh <laughs> Um, so my background is actually originally in uh, international affairs and energy policy. And so I was yeah, oh, wow. so a bit different than what I'm doing today. But um, I was essentially a kind of 2017 top buyer who uh, decided to stick around despite getting wiped out. Um, yep. Me too. You know, we're, we're a forgotten <laughs> class, I feel like. Worth the cost, I yeah, think. Cost, yeah, cost of, of admission, exactly. But yeah, at the time, I was essentially at a think tank kind of toward the end of the 2017 bull run. And I was asked to do kind of the crypto side of a research paper that was looking into uh, power sector applications of blockchain tech. That resulted in me uh, buying the top, as I said. You know, most was lost by kind of like May 2018. And I kind of pivoted, uh, you know, despite, you know, at the time graduating college and then going off into the workforce, uh, doing unrelated work, um, just kind of trying to be a, a nights and weekends analyst of sorts, um, really uh, like the kind of yeah. Bitcoin mining conversations, just because I found there's a lot of nuance, uh, you know, on both sides of that debate. Um, and a lot of energy involved. Exactly. Also. Right. And so that's kind of where I <laughs> cut my teeth as far as it came to like publishing about crypto and being on crypto Twitter. Um, and just, you know, as, as the bear market went on, uh, I just got more and more comfortable with more and more topics in crypto and DeFi in particular stood out to me just because I was, you know, going to meetups at the time, uh, like the coin was, uh, the term was even coined, uh, kind of like August, 2018 out in SF with like the Dharma guys and the um, set protocol guys. That's kind of where, you know, DeFi tracks its lineage, at least, you know, uh, the, the terminology there. And so it always yeah. like really stuck out to me, but you know, I, I would say that I, I didn't really have a clear route to entering the industry until I had the chance in late 2019 to join a very small boutique uh, advisory firm that was essentially providing advisory services to the Web3 Foundation and later uh, ARK Invest. So that allowed me to kind of go full time, more full time with crypto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a pedigree. So you were working at this advisory throughout like 2019 and then into 2020 or? Uh, right at the end of 2019 and then through all of 2020. And so definitely, mm -hmm. you know, interesting time to make a career shift a defi summer <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah and wow with, with, with covid right at the start of it that was uh that was a bit scary but you know obviously we all know how 2020 unfurled and you know what it did for for defi and crypto more generally um so super happy were you deep in it all like the Yield farming and compound. Unfortunately, not as much as I should have been. I admit that, and I'm sure mm -hmm. you, you probably have an opinion on this too, but kind of having gotten started in the 2018 bear market really kind of left some scars. Got a bit tainted with some Bitcoin mac maximalism at certain points as well. And so while <laughs> I always followed kind of what was happening, you know, I really didn't experiment as much as I should have. And it really took until kind of the close of like DeFi summer to kind of come around to, okay, this is 
this is something, right? Like this, there's obviously tons of activity here that is worth, you know, taking a, a real 100% look at. Yeah, like it wasn't going away. I remember the weirdest one for me was like, damn, <laughs> I was like, how can this, how can this, like this doesn't make any sense. And then they locked the, like, why they locked like $2.8 million in like a contract forever on accident. Yeah, that was such a weird one. But yeah, Zeus was a Bitcoin maxi as well throughout sort of 2020. And then he kind of was like, oh, actually it doesn't, doesn't really make that much sense because there's no bottom to it <laughs> also it's super like it's fixed supply kind of means that it's going to be super volatile as well so very difficult to be a kind of reserve currency do you are you still a little bit bit bitcoin maxi what do you feel about bitcoin now i think i've kind of come to the you know personal conclusion that if there is a proof of work chain that is able to exist uh, in the current political climate, you know, geopolitical climate even, it, it would have to be Bitcoin. But, yeah. you know, I've always found, like, you know, no matter what country you go to, the power sector is one of the most government-involved there is. And so I have a hard time kind of squaring uh, a lot of the, you know, energy realities with it. But, you know, at the same time, I disagree with people that compare it to like, oh, you know, it's it's like video gaming. It's a, it's a waste of energy, right? Like, you know, I'm definitely in the camp that says mm -hmm. you should compare it to, you know, maybe not the U.S. military, but it's on that spectrum, right? Like sovereign grade currencies uh, cost a lot. And we can be thankful that Bitcoin doesn't cost lives at, at the end of the day, right? Um, so yeah. in that sense, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's dead by any means, but what I will say irks me the most these days. <laughs> so I'll get on my soapbox for a second. Please. Is that I'm definitely surprised at um, the kind of like vehemence Bitcoin maxis have against DeFi, right? Like this idea that they are far more willing to get buddy buddy with bankers and you know traditional institutions than figure out ways like you know Thorchain or whatever, you know, bridging kind of technology you have in mind to like truly make Bitcoin finance possible without any intermediaries. Has this been one of the more shocking uh, things to me? And so in, in that sense, yeah. I, I, I struggle to take Bitcoin Maxi seriously because, you know, they cheer whenever some bank starts offering Bitcoin services and then, you know, ignore everything that happens in DeFi. And that really calls into question, at least for me, kind of, where the supposed holier-than-thou ethos even lies with them around decentralization. Yeah, it's super weird, right? Because Eric Voorhees is like a big supporter of ThorChain, but then people are like, boo, we don't want DeFi. It's like it's building a product for Bitcoin. like. And then there's this weird sort of, if there's any sort of chain that's kind of, kicking ethereum or whatever that they'll be like yeah let's take that it's like almost like they've found ethereum maxis as their enemy and anything ethereum maxis like bitcoiners don't like it's it's pretty bizarre i think but yeah yeah it'll be it'll be interesting uh, to see if that changes um i've been following one project uh, called alchemia um it's by a, a gentleman called uh, by the name of leo i, I believe and they're looking to do Bitcoin mining hash rate swaps and kind of like, you know, financialized products uh, using Ethereum. And so I wonder if, you know, something that is that core uh, to kind of like Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalism, you know, being facilitated in part by Ethereum, you know, eventually changes some minds. But yeah, it's always hard to tell where the where the C's will go on these types of narratives. Or if... <laughs> Yeah, or if Bitcoin settles on Ethereum one day, that would be interesting. Um, I do remember, like, Zhu, Suzu, um, I mean, he's kind of got himself in trouble over the weekend, but um, for something I don't think he really believes. But he does have, like, really good takes, and I think the orange coin good meme is just so strong now that it's it's, like... It's not, it, it's, there will always be a buyer for Bitcoin and it's sort of this uh, religious experience people have and then they kind of 
spread the good word as like missionaries of bitcoin so yeah i don't think i don't think bitcoin's going anywhere um we're gonna we're gonna have it around and it's like very useful for people to um kind of store their wealth and it's very simple to kind of understand compared to like ethereum or smart contracts or any stuff like that exactly Mm. yeah so then the end of 2020 kind of happens and and then kind of where where do you find yourself in early 2021 um so i spent the the back half of 2020 just making kind of like this DeFi, you know kind of journey of my own on my own personal time um and over that time mm-hmm. i got really close with the barn bridge community in particular toward you know kind of like q4 of 2020 and so Come March 2021, uh, I made the choice to go kind of full time into DeFi by joining the Barnbridge core team, which was something I, I think I'd been looking for just because I'd up to that point never kind of been in a startup environment or even frankly a, a building environment, um, as you could probably assume by my background. So kind of getting on the yeah. ground floor of something and really thinking about products and how it interacts, you know, especially in DeFi, right? You have this ecosystem where the landscape is just full of opportunities and competitors and everything is a Lego in one way or another, if you think long enough. <laughs> so that that's kind of what brought me to DeFi back in March. And now Fiat DAO is essentially a spin-off project from Barnbridge that I've been working on for most of this year, you know, conceptually. And then kind of in this kind of uh, protocol spin-out uh, context uh, for the past two months. They've got such good, like, and clean execution for for Barnbridge, like DAO being DAO first, so not having a sort of uh, kind of multi-sig control things for like a year or two years. I think it forces like a community uh, to build and like a culture of sort of inclusiveness that everyone's now part of the community because we are actually a DAO and people are actually making decisions about the future of the protocol rather than sort of one founder being like, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, nobody really has a choice or a say in the matter. Definitely. And I've been so impressed by the community that's been assembled. Uh, I always joke and refer to it as like the Barnbridge Brain Trust. Uh, we definitely have a good solid crew of uh, that's always kind of discussing new ideas, new concepts, and, you know, assessing what's happening in the rest of DeFi. Um, so I've been really thankful to kind of make those connections over the past year, for sure. Because, you know, it's so hard to make sense of DeFi on, on a day-to-day basis, right? Like having a good cohort is, is, is paramount, for sure. Yeah, I think, and Bombridge obviously has that a lot of uh, people have been attracted to kind of the the markets that Barnbridge seeks to create with these sort of tranches and then the smart alpha as well. And a whole lot of them are Omis as well. And I think that's probably not surprising considering they're kind of playing in the same area of bonding and APY, APR, different sort of levels of risk and stuff. Would you kind of keeping an eye on Olympus to begin with, like as it launched or when did you first sort of discover Olympus and what was your kind of first impression? So, so this is the part where uh, you have to admit your kind of original sin of, of doubt, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had it too and I've been there since Genesis. So. Absolutely. So at the time, I, I definitely was following Viscontes and Adam Patel and I really respected their opinion on all things DeFi. And so I started seeing them, you know, tweet about Olympus kind of, you know, close to day one, those, those first initial months. And for me, you know, I, again, right, like, you know, how I had kind of pointed out that DeFi summer was a bit muted for me because of the kind of bear, 2018 bear scars. Similarly, right, uh, Olympus was launched in this wake of, um, you know, all the rebasing tokens and all the, all the, Empty set dollar. Exactly. <laughs> DSD. Exactly. You know, and I, I tried my luck with like empty set, didn't really pan out. Just cause, you know, I, I just was not early there. Um, and I was like, well, 
Yeah, some people made a lot of money off that. Exactly. And so that's kind of my first Not re me. reaction for Olympus too. You know, like, yeah. oh, well, I wasn't in Genesis. Oh, it's been around for three weeks already. Well, all right. I mean, I'll keep watching it for sure, but... Everything's going to zero. Exactly. And, you know, I did, the kind of treasury element d didn't connect for me initially. Like, I, I will say, like, I, I like to think I wasn't totally off-put by the whole APY uh, kind of advertising you know um, I, I definitely kind of understood that after a few reads <laughs> but it was just like kind of this matter of, you yeah. know I think if you're in DeFi long enough like you just kind of get this hesitation when you know you're not early to something it's like okay you know there's kind of like this um, valley of death and so for me that moment obviously yeah. came you know after the May implosion of the market and when it was clear that you know Olympus mm -hmm was robust it was able to kind of come back after that type of volatility it was clear that there's you know definitely something here yeah that decision to use stable coins i think as the beginning asset rather than like eth or some other volatile asset like because people's cognition was oh well the <laughs> it's a stable coin sort of sink so it shouldn't kind of dump in the the crash along with the rest of crypto exactly and you know kind of realizing that and recognizing that the the treasury was such an added dimension uh to the rebasing mechanic really made a click for me and so you know it's been great to see the success ever ever since and you know as the old saying goes Imitation is the best form of flattery, right? <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're definitely oh, seeing yes. that it <laughs> We works. have many imitators. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> Zeus predicted this, like, fork fest, right, at the beginning. And then he was really surprised when it didn't happen. And then, like, <laughs> and then we got, like, I don't know how many, like, 300 forks now or something. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, all the ones that are on EVM-compatible chains are essentially just doing, uh, sub, you know, subsidized R&D for Olympus, in my view. And so it's just even more confirmation that, you know, a new primitive was discovered here and that it, it does have quite a bit of more utility than a lot of early critics may have, may have expected. Yeah, I think there's just going to be kind of really cool use cases like Klima is like a really obvious one that's like wow that's that's really cool and then I just can't wait to see what other kind of use cases it's put put towards like someone was saying they should you know do forest conservation like it can take in title assets for like land and then it can be like land now <laughs> i don't know if that one would work i think we're not there yet but like bringing all these other type of assets on chain is sort of a really kind of interesting application of it definitely and i think you know klima is, is a great example of uh, kind of the ramifications of the model you know i i think when we look at the real world right there is only one reserve currency and so that's why i'm a bit bearish on Olympus forks that, you know, use any of that type of language, but something like Klima already is, is truly making ripples in the industry it's looking to disrupt. My, my partner, she's kind of doing her graduate work uh, on, you know, carbon offsets uh, and how you go about analyzing and assessing that market. And so she's already seeing kind of like the impact of Klima already because she has all these like legacy you know, institutions involved in that space, whether it's, you know, corporations going for net zero commitments or just academic departments that focus on that topic. Everyone's like losing their minds about what Klima is, is doing. They're like, what do you mean there's, you know, X percent APY? And what do you mean it's bonds are being used to obtain offsets? And so it's really fascinating to see kind of crypto converge uh, on a specific topic with, with the real world, right? In such a, you know, meaningful way. Yeah. And people, like I saw someone post that Trojan horse meme and they're like, here, buy your claimer. And inside is like Olympus. And they're like, come in to Troy. Because <laughs> um, as soon as you 
try to understand Klima, it, it is kind of a direct path to like, well, where'd it come from, you know? And then you're like, what's this other thing? But kind of sitting behind it and own some of Klima itself, yeah. So let's talk about spinning up Fiat DAO. What was the kind of genesis of Fiat DAO? Yeah, so Fiat is kind of the culmination of a product pain point we were trying to solve. Um, so for those who are familiar, uh, there's it, kind of like the inaugural Barnbridge product, which was Smart Yield, launched back in March. And Smart Yield essentially offers users either uh, fixed rates on underlying lending markets, so Aave or Compound, for instance. So you can be assured that you're going to earn a, a certain yield on a certain time frame. And on the other side of smart yield, there are users who are taking levered variable exposure to the underlying market in question. So that means for compounds, USDC market, for instance, right? We have a senior and a junior side, and it's those seniors who are getting the fixed uh, return. And you know, while we did see pretty awesome inflows for TVL for the first few months of that product, it was almost all on the junior side and hardly anything on the senior side. Um, and it was clear to us that you know the, the senior side uh, was just not attractive to folks, right? And that was for a number of reasons, but essentially we were asking people to bring $100 to speculate on three to $5. The position was represented via an NFT, so secondary liquidity and leverage on that were an issue as well. And so it became clear that, okay, you know, we, we got to figure this out to, to make this an attractive product and kind of create a seesaw effect uh, between the junior and senior side. I remember Tyler was on a podcast and then he was saying most people in DeFi say, <laughs> who's, yeah, but who's going to take your senior tranches? Whereas most people in TradFi say, yeah, but the problem with your model is who's going to take the junior tranches. But I suppose like it kind of Barnbridge was just too ahead of its time, right? You don't have the kind of big institutional capital on chain yet. So it's very difficult for someone to sort of a degen who can go put it somewhere else to really get into those senior tranches. Is that how you see it? Uh, exactly. And I think the, the real kind of... Yeah. Um, piece of information that shines out in that analysis is that when you think about why legacy uh, institutions hold those types of assets, you know, fixed rate, fixed income in general, it's usually for one of two reasons, right? Um, you know, either they are an ins you know, insurance, comp insurance company or some other entity that has a mandate to be relatively risk minimized. And we definitely don't have the MD5, right? like full stop. So that's kind of one part of the equation yeah. for demand that doesn't exist. But then the other, right, is the ability to get leverage against fixed income assets. And so what, what I think people always kind of fail to understand when they see, oh, you know, people are buying treasuries for how much, you know, yield? Like, come on, what, what are they doing? Uh, well, the reality is you can get hilariously high loan-to-value ratios on those treasuries. And so people do do that, right? Even risk on uh, hedge funds will do that, right? They'll just lever their position, you know, however many times to get a return that they feel is uh, commensurate with what they have to do. And so that was kind of like... The... That makes so much sense. <laughs> I never thought about that before in my life. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I get right, it. and it's crazy when you dig Please when you on. dig into it. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars in this type of uh, kind of this type of trade, right? And so that was the main insight for us was like, okay, whoever figures out fixed income leverage presumably wins, you know, a good chunk of the fixed income DeFi market, and hopefully expands it as well because today it's rather small. But the second order kind of insight to that is like, you know, well, if Barnbridge does figure it out, this is an open source space. And so this concept of like universal liquidity also matters, right? Like if you have all of the fixed income protocols doing their own version of a leverage solution, uh, whatever that may be, the liquidity is still fragmented at the end of the day, of the day which is contrary to, you know, like, 
the, the treasuries analogy, right? That was kind of like the turning point for us where we realized, well, you know, maybe this isn't a Barnbridge app, but just a protocol all on its own. Uh, you know, one that is like credibly fair and neutral uh, to all of the fixed income asset issuers that exist in DeFi today. And that presumably will come to exist in DeFi in the future once we figure out, you know, on-chain uh, DAO bonds or, you know, corporate bond equivalents and all the various uh, credit markets you have in TradFi. You know, eventually we'll figure that out one way or another. And knowing DeFi, and, but also knowing the traditional world, uh, traditional financial system, you know, leverage will be important to that. And so we kind of came to that conclusion in September, and that's what led all this uh, to happening with uh, the launch of uh, kind of the fiat DAO uh, last month. So cool. I'm just sort of my, I'm reeling a bit from what this all means. I thought I understood what you were trying to do, but it's like coming more into focus now. All right, cool. So maybe we'll take people through the launch and how that happened. And then sort of the, so the kind of pre-launch, the launch of FDT, the governance token, and then there's going to be the launch of the actual products in January. Is that Correct. right? And so I think this is one of the more important parts for, for people to understand, because I think a lot of people in crypto may have, you know, certain uh, muscle memory when it comes to specific types of token launches. So it's always <laughs> kind of clear or mm -hmm. important to clarify your, your thinking behind how you design Give it. Give whitelist. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... With Fiat DAO, what we're essentially doing is a, a DAO first launch, meaning that the, the DAO and the associated governance token does precede uh, the launch of the protocol. Now, we, we did this in a way uh, that did not require any actual legal entity associated with it. We, we took this lesson from, out of the Barnbridge playbook. And so we had an initial seed contribution uh, last month. This was all done via an Aragon DAO, you know, took, took in USDC to kind of fund the build out um, of the fiat protocol itself. And what we started uh, at the beginning of this month is essentially kind of a two month uh, jubilee of sorts. And, you know, you know, what does that actually mean? Right. Like that's just a medieval wor word I, I came up with. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so essentially our, you got the Roman theme. We do. Going on, right? Everyone thought we were Rome Dow to begin with, yeah. and there are a lot of. Yeah, I did too. We had like ninety-five boosts on the first day of the Discord, and I was like, "What is going on?" And I was like, "Oh, people think there's a white." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so essentially, you know, the launch of this DAO uh, at, at the beginning of November and of October uh, precedes. Our protocol launch, you know, it's slated for sometime in January. And the reason for this is we essentially wanted to give enough time to essentially give away Fiat DAO token such that once the code base for Fiat V1 is actually ready to go, we're actually launching it into a community from day one, not just, you know, launching it via a private entity and then doing a retroactive thing in the future. Um, you know, obviously everyone gets their own legal advice and I'm not here to <laughs> give any legal advice either, but I think the writing is on the wall, right? For, you know, DeFi is going to be tested uh, in the coming years. You know, the, the decentralization of any effort or protocol is, is really gonna be put under the microscope, doubly so if you're not anonymous, right? Like I always wish I had gone anon back in 20, 18, but I don't have that privilege today. And so we, you know, we're not in a position to do a public sale. We weren't in a position to launch a DAO selling its own token when it was only, you know, insiders that were there at the beginning, right? Like these are just the realities that we've kind of faced for ourselves. You know, myself and the other three kind of core contributors were American or European. And so that was, just kind of the reality we had to work with. And so our kind of approach here where, you know, by the time January rolls around, uh, it's pr predominantly outsiders or the very least that's kind of what the token emissions were aimed at, <laughs> you know, that yeah. gives a credible, credible nod to decentralization and 
at the end of the day, users still have to, you know, actually believe that we as core contributors want to actually distribute and decentralize the roadmap and the work itself. And, you know, that's something we're committed to, but, you know, until we show that in practice, people are going to be skeptical, presumably, because, you know, it is DeFi and most projects, you know, that, that is a struggle to, to do. So that is the reason for yeah. kind of what you alluded to earlier, which is, you know, why can I earn FDT for just showing up with my wrap stake to own, right? Like <laughs> what, what is the point of this? But for us, you know, it was essentially the best middle of the road approach for, you know, widely distributing a token over a long period of time. You know, no one's essentially advantaged in that sense. There's no public sale. If you're interested in this, you have ways to earn the token. And if you're not, you know, you can hold your skepticism until the protocol launches and, you know, everyone's, everyone's happy at the day and <laughs> you, you kind of let the dice fall as they may. Free stuff. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, I looked at the website first and I was like, oh, I know this website because it's got that Barnbridge kind of feel to it. And then I saw Incubated by Barnbridge and that's like, cause they, because they were so good at executing, it actually does build like a lot of trust into the brand as well. And I think we're going to start seeing that a lot more kind of really getting those social signals from sort of which protocols are involved and sort of um, people who are aligned with those protocols and have a reputation for being good actors are going to see a lot more success into the future. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of Olympus is kind of starting its own incubator to try and sort of help build out these products and have less VC involvement. But you guys are already one step ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, right, like, I, I think, you know, one of one of my main, like, theses for, like, where, where DeFi is headed and crypto in general is that the tech and startup comparisons will, will kind of matter less as these types of, or as this landscape just gets more politicized, right? Because, you know, to your point, right, like, we're now kind of seeing incumbents emerge and we're seeing kind of power structures form across DeFi protocols to the point where, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day. It's going to be political. You know, obviously there's enough drama in DeFi <laughs> to fill a, a weekly podcast, I'm <laughs> sure, but it's only going to get more so uh, yes. as the stakes get higher and higher and higher. And so I, I definitely agree with you that for a new project that's starting kind of in, in this, you know, era of DeFi going forward, you know, the, the product you ship is obviously the most important, but a very close second is kind of how you bring it to market, with whom you bring it to market, and just how you present it to the market even. It's, it's all very important. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure someone could say that, well, that's always been the case, right? Like good marketing has salvaged a lot of bad projects over the years. But I think now the amount of like power that's involved is just very different, right? Because you're starting to see kind of like these alliances between projects and their balance sheets at work for, for those who, you know, contribute to those alliances and so on. And so it's just like very much, you know, to, to end the ramble, right? Like crypto has speed run economics and finance over the past 10 years. And I'm sure we're now going to go speed run political science and corporate organization <laughs> for the next 10 years. Yeah. Well, it's the very thing that has to happen, right? As soon as you have protocols with these treasuries, the next thing for them to do with it is to go and sort of enter adjacent markets to where their product is. Exactly, right? And it's just going to be a constant constant struggle. <laughs> yeah. So the Jubilee, this is the launch. It's the Fiat DAO has this Roman theme and there's these different NFTs that that people can earn and they're sort of for locking in your FDT token, which is the governance token. So at the start, it was just Barnbridge, Rari, Maker, Wi-Fi, and Rapstaked Ohm. And they all had kind of different pool allocations for just sticking your governance token in there, whatever it was. And then you put, get to pull out this other governance token and that's FDT for the Fiat DAO sort of governance and then there was a sort of 
uh, after the first week, that was the first time anyone had any tokens. And then you could put them in this other pool, which was just sort of for FDT. And you can earn more FDT by having your token in that pool. <laughs> and then the third one which launched was the wrap the wrap staked ohm fdt pool and that's sort of the current liquidity for fdt and that's being incentivized and that's going to move to geom after they launch the geom contract i think the gm contract might already be launched but they're gonna sort of roll out migration over a couple of weeks is that is it did i get it right uh you got us right and that is my understanding of geom <laughs> and so yeah i, I can yeah, elaborate perfect. a bit more on, on the nft kind of concept because i think it's it's oh, something yes. that was kind of pioneered by by staked out kind of with these with this concept of gated access to, to vaults or pools in general and so our kind of thinking behind doing this is that you know, users are going to be able to earn a series of five NFTs over the next four weeks. We, the first week is behind us. And each week, the associated NFT gets dropped to a certain tier of stakers within the DAO. So the first one went to 100% of stakers, the next to 50%, the subsequent one 25%, all the way down to the last one going to the top 5%. And with these NFTs, users will be able to liquidity mine the FDT geome pairing on Ethereum mainnet. And so we, we like this design for a number of reasons, right? Because it A, aligns the people liquidity mining your asset with, you know, presumably some stake in the fiat DAO itself. B, it kind of partitions users across various tiers and, you know, Yes, a whale could get all five NFTs and then strategically place their LP tokens across oh the different God. pools. Yeah. But, you know, all said and done, it still presumably will offer a better equilibrium for the participants in the system. And, you know, thirdly, I, I think it's just cool that it kind of solidifies people's position as a you know, original community member, right? Like, I think the more social DAOs have done a lot of pioneering work on this front, right? Like Friends of Benefits, for instance, and this concept of DAOs having seasons to them is something they've uh, really worked on over the past year. And, you know, similarly for us, right? Yeah. Like we have a very clear cut first season, right? It's everything up until the lead up <laughs> to the protocol launch. And so, you know, I think this concept of NFTs with utility, definitely something we'll look to continue onward, you know, through subsequent seasons of the DAO. And today they offer a way yeah. for us to kind of have a high emission period that's less targeted at mercenary capital and more, you know, kind of conducive to users who like, you know, I like Fiat DAO. I want to earn Fiat DAO token in the lead up to protocol launch. Um, and this gives me an edge in, in doing so. Right. And so I, I think it's a cool way to align community, a cool way to you know, make something that's a bit nebulous, right? Like DeFi is all numbers and scary contracts you're putting your funds into. And, you know, here's an NFT that looks cool. And, <laughs> you know, you can kind of like look back fondly on in a year. They do look cool, right? And they've, they've got moving graphics on them as well. Yeah, we're, we're really lucky with the, with the talent we get to work with. Tyler Ward of Barnbridge, kind of prior to launching Barnbridge, had one of the leading agencies kind of for like React development and you just got to know a lot of designers. We're able to kind of tap into that pool as needed, which is, you know, such a privilege to kind of be able to do things like this, you know, in parallel to the actual protocol development. <laughs> yeah, that parallelization of work streams is such a big part of being able to execute quickly. We've found it like in Olympus, you like have to take a lot of time getting the parallel structures set up, but then once they get going, it's kind of you achieve <laughs> so much more than you could from these kind of more corporate structures, which are kind of, you know, very hierarchical. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's the hardest learning curve uh, for any DAO and in any category of crypto. Because it is just so difficult to kind of organize people and, you know, it's not going to be a flat organization, but, you know, sometimes you need to wait for leaders to emerge for specific categories and then you kind of just got to let them roll with it and see what happens. And that's just very different than, you know, any traditional startup, right? Like emergent talent exactly right? yeah. exactly and you now i think we're lucky at fiat mm -hmm. just because we're able to tap into existing communities uh, for that talent right like 
obviously we had a lot of Barnbridge people follow us, but um, I've also been super kind of surprised by the outpouring interest from uh, the Ohm community, right? Like, and it's always funny, right? Because you have a lot of like anon characters and then you get to talk to them and it's like, oh, you're actually like, you know, 15 years deep in a finance career and like <laughs> doing really important <laughs> stuff in your day job, you know? And it's like, you have all these people who want to help yeah. in some way. And I think the biggest challenge for DAO always is going to be, you know, I think the phrase is uh, like time to contribution. Uh, Brian over at Rabbit Hole kind of coined that one, right? Where you have all these people who want to help out to varying extents, of course, and your ability to kind of onboard and align people with, you know, some form of directional roadmap as best you can is is this something that never comes easy and, you know, it's few have like kind of cracked the code on it, right? Like Wi-Fi, Olympus, synthetics, all, all three come to mind in terms of like figuring out this problem, but it's definitely whenever humans are in the mix, right? <laughs> it's never going to be easy. Yeah. Eric Voorhees was on an AMA with us for Shapeshift when they joined Olympus Pro. And then someone was like, oh, what do you see as like the future of DAOs? And then he was on stage with our like marketing kind of lead. And he's like, I see the future as, you know, some very senior person in a DAO that's like this massive kind of entity and their name is Fatty Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool like that you're dealing with Anons and see kind of people who, you know, transition to being anon as well they're like oh everyone else is anon okay maybe i'll try that maybe you could too max maybe i already have um <laughs> ooh, geez are you already in like olympus dow working <laughs> <laughs> and i just don't know it that's so wild okay well yeah so that's kind of the launch it's going on now any omis i think there's still like a week or two left of rap steak ohm Oh, oh yeah, that, that's the hope. Yeah. Um, we're already extending our wrap staked ohm liquidity mining uh, another two weeks. Mm -hmm. So for, oh, for two, two weeks, weeks just cool. to create a cushion in, in case it gets to that, right? And yeah, the idea will be that, you know, presumably some portion of this wrap staked ohm will be interested in providing geom liquidity uh, for FDT. They'll be able to do so with the NFTs they've either earned or acquired through the secondary market. And that will coincide with, with an Olympus Pro program such that, you know, you can, even if you might not have access to the liquidity mining pools, you can still participate in, in bonding. And maybe some other cool stuff with Olympus. Potentially, if, if we're so lucky. <laughs> so the DAO is going to be launched once there's 20 million FDT sort of locked in that uh, FDT single single asset pool and that will sort of power up the DAO and then the DAO will get going and people will be able to vote for things and kind of get this get this ship sailing is that what we're waiting for exactly and so the DAO contracts we use are a bit more of a heavy duty fork of kind of the original compound uh, governor contracts and what's cool about them is they bring a lot of modularity with them um, so that means, you know, when the DAO does activate a 20 million FDT stake, voting will be the primary thing you're able to do. We'll try to do most of it on snapshot, right? Like those on-chain votes are, are mainly just for on-chain actions at the end of the day. But as the protocol then launches, uh, you know, a month, month and a half later, now it's in, the DAO is actually in a position to add utility to, you know, FDT stake in it that actually connects with the protocol itself. And that's kind of like our end goal. Uh, yeah. So yes. it's, it is a governance token. So what, with, what is that utility? Um, so our, our, our oh, primary yeah. interest at the moment for that utility is kind of creating a, a way for users to signal um, their view on risk management of collateral types within the system in a more dynamic way than having to go kind of like to DAO vote every single time something needs to be adjusted. And so for folks who aren't familiar, FIAT stands for Fixed Income Asset Token. It'll be an asset you'll be able to mint against fixed income assets collateralized in the system. And so that means we'll have quite a number of collateral types that, that will be accepted uh, by the system. So you can think of these as being assets like 
Barnbridge Smart Yield Senior uh, Bonds, Element Finance, Pendle Finance, you know, kind of the like, principal tokens, eventually Olympus Dow, Geom Bonds, for instance, and, and the list goes on. And so we're going to have a, you know, a longer tail of assets that are supported collateral for minting fiat. And there's, uh, you know, there, there will be value kind of in figuring out like what the proper risk uh, for um, these different types of collateral types will be. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can do that in, with a centralized team of users or, you know, kind of like a multi-sig. And that's probably, you know, what we'll launch for like first couple of weeks, just to make sure everything actually works. But the idea is that, you know, we get that into the hands of the DAO as, as fast as possible, right? This goes back to this concept of DeFi, right? Like be, you should be DeFi, you shouldn't be a, a dino um, as certain commissioners of certain agencies have uh, alluded to, you know, these organizations that are mm -hmm. decentralized in name only, all right? Um, that's what we're trying to avoid. And so in, in that sense, the fiat DAO token, you know, the, the first step for kind of adding utility to it will be allowing users to kind of hone in on specific collateral types and adjust some risk parameters for them. And because of the way our DAO is set up, that's the first use case. That's not the last, right? Like it's something that can always be yeah, sure. Legoed on after in a modular fashion. So say I have a Pendle asset and it represents the claim to the yield on a Yearn vault um, for like 60 days. And then I put that in to fiat and then I can pull out a fiat token. How will the value of that be derived? Will it be a kind of sort of you'll calculate the what yield that sort of bond gives the entitlement to and then sort of dish me out? Um, the value of that in this fiat token? Is it a fixed price token? Is it like one for one with the US dollar or is it like floating maybe a bit more detail on how that works? Sure. We can start from the beginning, I guess, because it is, it is a bit nuanced. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a stable coin, first and foremost. The, the issue we kept running into when we were thinking about this you know, problem of uh, fixed income leverage and, you know, maybe issuing something against a fixed income asset as collateral was that you as a, you know, as a protocol really don't have a great way of liquidating these assets at scale. And so what that means is, right, like if I am a stable coin today and I take ETH, I take Rapid coin, whatever it might be, you know, there are thoroughly liquid markets for those positions to be liquidated as needed. And that's not really the case in DeFi today, right? There's like no secondary markets for these fixed income assets at scale. The fixed income protocols that have gone down the ERC-20 route are unlocking secondary liquidity on those fronts. But, you know, not every protocol has the same kind of setup. And so you still deal with liquidity fragmentation. And so it, it does become difficult to defend a peg, right? When you might be backed by a number of fixed income assets that have, you know, as the title suggests, a fixed yield associated with them. And, you know, if the next day the prevailing market rates for the same types of assets or the same types of like kind of fixed income arrangements, you know, if those rates skyrocket because all of a sudden DeFi bull market is back or whatever, it does become difficult to kind of figure out how you're going to defend the peg. Uh, in that situation, because you don't really have interest rate derivatives at scale. Like there's a lot of like chicken before the egg issues that, that kind of come yeah. to mind that aren't really an issue if you're a stable coin backed by a, you know, liquid asset. And so the way we go about this essentially is saying, you know, you can mint fiat against your position, but we actually view fiat to be almost a, a perpetual bond. And so what that means is, Anyone who owns fiat, even if they're not the person who minted it in the first place, is able to come to our protocol and kind of claim the floor asset at any moment in time, right? So what this means is you have fiat. It is backed by 100 fixed income assets. One of those assets is going to be the cheapest to deliver is the specific phrase. 
And what that essentially boils down to is, you know, what's the furthest removed from becoming the asset it's denominated in, right? Like, you know, if I have a stable coin that is, uh, un is part of a fixed income asset and it matures tomorrow, then that's, you know, very close to being the underlying stable coin. But if it matures a year from now, right, like there are reasons to, you know, not truly value it as the amount of stable coins you get at maturity, right? The, the time value of money is, is at play there. And so we're able yeah. to essentially ordinarily rank all the collateral in the system. And, you know, if you own all the fiat in circulation, all that collateral is yours. It's essentially the, the concept here. And, you know, for folks who... It's a, co a call on the collateral. Um, it, or like a percentage call. In a, right? in a sense, right? Like, yeah. I think the, the closest... Parallel is something that was written by Paradigm earlier in the year, right? This concept of a floor perpetual. They wrote it in the context of kind of like, you know, regular NFTs or, or media NFTs, but it has parallels here in that, you know, the fiat ERC-20 token can be uh, treated as any ERC-20, but it can actually be a claim on, you know, a certain amount of collateral in the system. And so to get back to your original question, right? Like, how do we think about the value of fiat? This essentially implies that, you know, fiat will be around a dollar, but it will actually reflect the kind of prevailing discount rate of the collateral that is backing it. So it becomes an actually like an interesting oracle of sorts, right? Where, you know, fiat is a little oh, lower than one. I just right? see how the market's going to price this. If you have a theoretical basis and that theoretical basis is fiat should trade between uh the discount on the cheapest to deliver asset in the system and one presumably but you know supply and demand also makes a very significant impact on that and can distort that yeah. and so for all these reasons right we don't view it as a stable coin we don't see it as competitive to any stable coin offerings in the market it, it really is kind of this bridge asset where we're able to kind of create demand for fixed income assets, which means, you know, we're creating demand for stable coins at the end of the day. And in that sense, we, we view ourselves as a very kind of, you know, I think it's a cool neutral ground for stable coins to really show themselves, prove themselves, right? Because you could imagine a user who mints fiat against their position, takes that fiat and either sells it or borrows for other stable coins and loops this over again, right? You're able to re-leverage any initial position, right? That's kind of like the, the primary use case at the end of the day is like levering up your fixed yield position and the best pathways for doing so, we'll see the, the most supply expansion for the associated stable coins and we'll see the most supply expansion for the associated fixed income asset protocols. So it kind of acts as like this glue substance that hopefully will lead to a large expansion of fixed income asset liquidity in general. We're getting to see why governance exactly. is so important <laughs> in this. So will there be any sort of incentive to hold it? I mean, so you might do some like liquidity mining or the like, but will there be sort of any inbuilt um, incentive to sort of be absorbing that? Yes. So I think for right, you know, I, just random regular mm -hmm. people. I think there's two elements here, right? Uh, the first is, you know, as you indicated, like liquidity mining and and that's kind of going to be up to the DAO, right, at that point. So I think I have like my ideas of how we can bootstrap secondary liquidity for fiat through some of like these more DeFi 2.0 mechanisms. But then, you know, the second element too is like at the end of the day, this is probably going to be one of the more pristine forms of collateral in DeFi. So we think there will be you know, significant demand in, in lending markets for fiat, right? Because essentially it's an asset backed by stable coins or, you know, downside protected volatile asset bonds, you know, later on, right? Like you could imagine like an ETH, ETH 2.0 bond that has downside protection kind of wrapped in with it. That's something we could accept, right? And so I think yeah. kind of going off of a lot of the like TradFi conversations we've had at Barnbridge over the past year, it's clear that there's definitely demand for these types of assets that are low volatility, but, you know, present a bit more intrigue than just say a stable coin. And so I think yeah. 
you know, obviously it's going to take time and this kind of goes back to my earlier point about, you know, it's all about how you choose to integrate and interoperate with other projects and protocols. But like our, our view is essentially that fiat should be something people can feel comfortable using as collateral to borrow against. So, and that's going to be... So Olympus could do it itself, right? Exactly. I just think... Right, so what's a cool second order effect of fiat, right, is like if you do have a very liquid secondary market for it, now it makes more sense for protocols to kind of take on the risk, you know, associated with holding a fixed income asset, right? So like, you know, in the past, protocols that may be backed by assets, right? Like when you think about like Frax or Faye, uh, Olympus to an extent as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they commit to a six month bond in a stable coin, you know, that might be totally in line with their kind of like protocol mandate, but the illiquidity premium of it might be too much. Mm-hmm. And so if they know in the back of their heads, right, that they can always kind of go to fiat to, you know, get liquidity, Money exactly, <laughs> monetize the position, yeah. that kind of changes the the demand for fixed income assets. And to your point on Olympus, right, like you could imagine multiple ways of this playing out, right? This could allow Olympus, yeah. <laughs> Olympus to issue fixed income treasury bonds, right? Olympus sits on DAI. There's no reason it can't offer that DAI as yield uh, through one mechanism or another. And now users can take their Olympus treasury bonds, bring them to fiat, and there's, there's way more demand because of the leverage afforded to it. But it also means Olympus can actually accumulate fixed income assets itself and have the, the peace of mind, you know, that there are like secondary liquidity avenues for those assets indirectly, right? Like you have to go through fiat, presumably there's some friction, but it's better than having no secondary liquidity whatsoever, which is, you know, yeah. I think a number of fixed income asset protocols have been making headway on that issue, right? Like there, there are multiple AMM implementations for ERC-20 fixed income assets. But having a single point to pool liquidity is, is always crucial in DeFi, in my opinion. And so if we can offer them that through fiat, right? Like, I think it's a, a very positive sum uh, development. You've worked out the stack, Max. I'm just thinking about how each piece of this comes together. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, we're we're really excited um, to, to build it, right? Like, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm thankful uh, we have such big brains uh, on this initial team here, and I'm definitely excited to see it come to fruition. Hopefully, in the next you know uh, two months or so. Yeah. Well, also, like, right? There's a whole bunch of DeFi treasuries that want collateral that's not necessarily a stable coin in their on their balance sheet, right? I I can think of one very big one. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what, what's cool about fiat is that, um, you know, when you do redeem it, you know, for some fixed income asset that's in the system, you're potentially getting that fixed income asset at a discount, right? Like if you're able to buy fiat at 95 cents or 90 cents, and then you go claim a piece of collateral, you just essentially levered the yield of that collateral because you, you got it at a discount since the system is essentially not accounting for that secondary price uh, difference. And so there's a whole lot of ways where either directly or indirectly, uh, we hope that Fiat kind of changes a lot of the perspectives on fixed income in DeFi today, right? Because I think we're finally over a billion in TBL for fixed income assets at the moment, thanks to Notional V2. But, you know, compared to the rest of DeFi, we're still a small drop in the bucket. And it'll be cool to see if, you know, these little adjustments, right? Because essentially all fiat is allowing you to do is, you know, add one more step and kind of create re-leveraging cycles that just drive a lot of fixed income asset demand. You know, if that's all it takes to really move this space by an order of magnitude or two <laughs> on a long enough time frame, mm-hmm. that'd be really cool to see. We, we think it makes sense. So it's, you know, always comes down to the moment where the rubber meets the road. But I think creating this type of asset that, you know, if you own all of it, you can get all the collateral in the system. Like those types of reassurances, I think, make a real psychological difference when people giving it a go and, and trying it out. 
Yeah, it's such a, like, it's kind of an experiment as well, right? Because you're going to, the market's going to kind of come in and you'll see, like, some thought leaders with, like, mental models about what the value of it should be. And then some other thought leader might come in and say, no, that's all wrong. The price should be something else. And then it'll kind of move with that and it'll be, like, a lot of social kind of signaling will have an impact on the price oh it's so cool exactly mm. i'm sure i'll be so thankful that i'm <laughs> doxxed when all those social commentaries come in so oh, yeah. i think every every founder has to kind of go through that trial by fire yeah so. kane has that tweet if you haven't been called a scam yet <laughs> keep grinding exactly. you'll get there yeah. <laughs> oh max that's so great Okay, so the launch coming up in January, Omis, you can go kind of get involved with this. The still a week and a half on the single-sided pool, put it in your wrap stake dome, and then you can, if you understand the risks <laughs> of using uh, liquidity to like uh, receive a yield, you can go into those wrap staked ohm FDT tokens, not financial advice, obviously. You know, you could lose it all. Everything could go to zero. So don't, you know, only put on, put in what you can afford to lose, as the bankless guys say. And you've got the Discord going, Max. There's quite lively over there. Omis can join that from the website. There's a link there. Is exactly. There? And we, we do have a vanity URL. So if you just do discord.gg backslash fiat DAO, that'll take you there as well. Uh, and the website is... Uh, just fiatdao.com. Okay, is there anything that you'd like to say, people you'd like to thank? Yeah, so uh, as far as the team goes, you know, the folks that couldn't join today are Johannes, Niels, and Daniel. Been, you know, a pleasure working with them over the past few months. They're all far more formally trained in various aspects when it comes to development than I am. And so they've given me a lot of patience and I and I appreciate that. And I'm I'm just really excited to see kind of, you know, what's been like six months. I, I think yeah, six months as of like today even kind of iteration on this concept, like finally get put into motion. Right. It's it's so cool to actually bring something into the world, which is Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think we're all super excited. You know, obviously heads down at the moment. It's a bit of a grind, but January will eventually be here and we'll be super excited to see this like actually in the wild and, you know, and the, the long journey of iterating starts. But yeah, it's been great working with them so far and definitely happy to have as many Omis involved in our community as possible. Right. Like I think it's been just uh, such a cool experiment to see that the Olympus Dow community to grow, you know, I, I don't know if it's 70,000 or 80,000 as of today, but being able to onboard that many people and kind of educate them and what you're doing is, is a feat. And um, I've just been very impressed uh, by the amount of folks that have come through our community, you know, willing to help and have as many ideas as, as they do. <laughs> and I think that kind of just speaks to, you know, DeFi in general, right? Like, you know, you know if this were a corny tweet, this is why it's we're very win, collaborative. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I actually like people can't actually believe how collaborative DeFi is when they first get into it. But it's like just so many people who like you get into these communities that is full of collaborative people and you just find yourself like surrounded by people willing to help, like reach out and offer things. It's so cool. Definitely. It's, it's a barbell of collaborative and cutthroat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Are you looking for people to come and help with anything in particular? Like you kind of need more front-end devs or any economic modelers who who would be good people to sort of come over and stick up their hand? You know, admittedly, it's, it's a bit tough, right? And I, this kind of goes back to what I was getting at with like, you know, DAO workflows being the toughest part of the equation. And, you know, for us, one of our realities that we're, we're dealing with right now is like we're building this v1 and we're admittedly a bit mum about all the workings with implementation just because we've seen front running in the past i'm always happy to talk with anyone in my dms who has an idea or wants to learn more about you know what we're building but like i'm already at the point where it's like oh no too many people <laughs> are asking for work and it's like uh just, you know just please be around in a month and a half, right? But I think one thing we're, we're really kind of interested to see is how the community kind of like participates in an AMA 
series that we're going forward with. So essentially starting next Wednesday and we're trying to book it all the way through January with you know weekly Wednesday AMAs. We'll be talking to the fixed income asset protocols we're looking to support with fiat or that are just, you know building in the space, right? So I think there will be good opportunities to kind of get a sense for you know what fixed income assets even look like in DeFi. You know maybe we get alpha leaks about what folks are up to in building, right? Because today you know what constitutes yeah. a fixed income asset usually is just a zero coupon bond, and there's a wide universe of different ways fixed income can be achieved. And so I think you know just Getting everyone educated is going to be a multi-month process about what we're building here. And so that's that's the primary focus at the moment is right, like making sure everyone is clear with what a fixed income asset is, how Fiat intends to use them, and then, you know, kind of be ready on day one, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll uh, retweet that one for you so people can know that the AMA is happening from the Agora account um, and I'll probably do it personally myself. So we'll have some links in the show notes to the Fiat DAO Discord and the Fiat DAO website so you can go check them out, Omis. And yeah, thanks for coming on, Max. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mark. See you next week, Omis.